0: Every Sunday morning of the gospel promises that are ours, that those who turn to Christ, the Savior whom God has sent, have the forgiveness of their sins and may worship Him with a clean and pure conscience and with much joy, as we also do this morning. Having heard then God's comforting words, let's turn now to the Word of God in First John chapter 4, which is our scripture reading this morning. First John four, and we'll read verses one through six. First John four, beginning in verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 125, stanzas 1 and 2. The text that we'll be focusing on are the same verses that we've read, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. You'll probably, probably be helped by having your Bibles open as we work through these, these few verses together. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the table of Christ to commemorate His death and to celebrate the fact that we belong to Him, we're reminded by our text that not everyone is welcome at this table. That may be a controversial truth in our culture, an offensive thing to suggest, but it should be a sobering truth for us. Not everyone is welcome at Christ's table. It is His table, and He welcomes those who belong to Him. But He turns away many others. That's what our text reminds us of. makes you think of the words of the Lord Jesus Himself where He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are those for, to whom He will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Well, that reality was painfully on display in the days of the church to, whom John, uh, to which John was writing. Uh, we're used to this fact that there are people that confess the name of Jesus who do not belong to the church of Jesus. We know of many sects in our day. Uh, but this would have been a hard thing for the church of uh, the days of John as they're navigating this reality for the first time. Uh, there are other people like us who confess the name of Jesus, and yet they're teaching things that are different than what Jesus and the apostles taught us. How, how are we supposed to think about that? That would have been a new and a difficult problem for the early church. And John wrote this, this entire letter in part to help the church navigate this, this difficult question. At the time, John was an old man. Tradition has it that he lived into his 90s and that he was writing this uh, from, that, uh, from around that old age. And at this time then, he would have been probably the last of the apostles left, the last of the original 12 apostles uh, who walked with the Lord Jesus. And so we can imagine he also would have commanded a, a special authority in his day as the, as the only living remaining apostle. And in that day, after after the gospel had already by that point exploded across the Roman Empire, we think of Paul's missionary journeys and all the churches that were were planted through that. How, how the church just grew and exploded by the thousands. Uh, the, it, the the next chapter in church history uh, was marked, not surprisingly, by the birth, the sudden appearance of many, many pseudo-Christian groups. Uh, For a long time, these have been unknown to history. It's only in recent history that uh, Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, uh, Gospels that were written in the early 100s, suddenly popped up. And these are Gnostic Gospels, groups of professing Christians who teach a very different gospel. And these are the kinds of groups that the early church had to confront and had to ask themselves, are they with us or are are they another group? Do we we treat them as brothers or do we uh, shun them as as non-Christians or or, or treat them anyways as as non-Christians? We we see a little taste of this already even in Paul's uh, letters, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, uh, how he has to deal with these these so-called super apostles, people that preach uh, different Gospels, whether it's health and wealth, prosperity-type Gospels, or, or Judaizers that, that want to reinstate circumcision and the old Jewish laws, or, or the, the Gaya spiritualists uh, that we've dealt with in, in uh, Colossians, these, these ultra-spiritualists that, that think that they have control of heavenly, powerful spiritual forces. And, and this is, sadly, how it happens. You plant a church. Our missionaries will tell you the same thing. You plant a church, and the very next thing that happens is you get people, uh, self-described preachers, who come preaching the name of Jesus, and yet uh, their own ideas and their own gospel. Uh, At this point, for us, we've, we've gotten used to this. We have Mormons. We have Jehovah's Witnesses. We have health, wealth, prosperity, preachers. Uh, even, even Muslims uh, may be considered a sect of Christianity. That, that is how they began, as a sect of, of Christianity, preaching the name of Jesus and yet preaching other apostles or other prophets who, who are greater than Jesus. Now, we're used to this, but we can imagine for the early church, this would have been bewildering and confusing. Suddenly you have all these other groups um, that, like us, are part of the, the persecuted church. They would have been persecuted too. And yet, they're preaching a different gospel. How do we relate to, to these groups? Well, that's the context of this warning in our text, where John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And what I love about this, this verse um, is, is how it orients us. Uh, uh, how many of you know what that's like when uh, you're, you're going through through a certain fog, uh, a certain confusion? You don't understand what's, uh, what's going on. You almost feel like you can't tell up from down, and you just feel disoriented. And then someone speaks words of truth. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a friend. And, and they simply identify and name what is going on, and it orients you. Suddenly you realize, oh, that's what's... That's what's happening. Well, that's what John does here for for this church. He he names the phenomenon. He says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by doing that, he he provides orientation to these early believers where suddenly they can say, oh, oh, that's what's happening. Right. Jesus said that there would be false prophets in this age. And, And so suddenly there's clarity in the midst of confusion. And so that's what John does. He tells us, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And he gives us a very simple, very simple test. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Uh, now, I, I want to make a small correction to the translation here. Uh, remember that, that Christ, the title Christ, is, is a title, not a name. It's not Jesus' last name, it's the title, uh, meaning the Messiah. And, and the Greek word, is, is often left out. So I, I think a better translation would be, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ, uh, come in the flesh, is from God. And then on the other hand, he says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus, that is, as the Christ, is not from God. Uh, that makes more sense of, of what he's, he's trying to say. Uh, now, you might be thinking, as, as you think about that, so if, if our litmus test is going to be every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, um, you might be thinking somewhat of a simplistic test. Um, like, there's a lot of groups that confess that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh uh, who uh, still preach a false gospel. Well, two things should, should be said uh, first of all, most of these pseudo-Christian groups in John's day were not confessing that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. Uh, they and and so this simple test—it is a simplistic test—and yet it separated true Christians from the vast majority of of pseudo-Christian groups. And it was a very obvious test as well. Um, every Christian knew that the most foundational creed of Christianity is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Uh, That's that's what they heard right from the beginning. And John's been saying every time, go back to what you heard from the beginning. Remember, this is what you were called to believe right from the beginning. And so the the test he gives is Jesus is the Christ. Does the spirit confess that? Then they're Christians. Do they not? Then they're not Christians. Uh, And and a second qualification to that test... uh, when, when John says every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, he's assuming a biblical definition here, too, of, of what it means to be the Christ. Uh, so if someone confesses that Jesus is the Christ, but we don't think he's God, they're no longer working with a biblical definition of Christ. Uh, so you might think of groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, they will say, Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. Uh, but they will also say, he's not God. Well, that's not a biblical definition of, what, of who the Christ is. Uh, virtually everywhere in the New Testament where the title Christ is used, it's used in conjunction with the title Son of God. Uh, so, for example, when Jesus was uh, on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, the, the question from Caiaphas was, he, he says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, These two titles come together. And you can see that again, if you look ahead at verse 15, uh, John lays down the the same litmus test, but in different words. Uh, He says in verse 15, "...whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God." It's the same test using different words. So we're working with a biblical definition of what it is to be Christ. So what's going on? John first orients us to the reality that there are other groups out there and you shouldn't be surprised by it. There are other groups. They may confess the name of Jesus, but they preach a different gospel. And John calls it what it is. He says these are false prophets or false spirits. And then he gives us this simple definition by which we can discern what's a true spirit, what's a false spirit. And the question has to do with who do you believe that Jesus is? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? And that's the first question that ought to be asked of every church, of every Bible teacher uh, out there. Who do you think that Jesus is? And, brothers and sisters, don't forget, John says this to reassure the church he's writing to. And this simple truth should be reassuring to us as well. Uh, John was was trying to reassure a church that was overwhelmed, bewildered, confused about the reality of all these other groups who were actually bigger than the the true church was. These these pseudo-Christian groups were bigger, they were more populated, they were more uh, interesting, more exciting oftentimes. And John's trying to reassure this simple, humble church, uh, don't be bewildered by this. There are false prophets out there. Uh, And and so he says in verse 4 as well, Little children, don't forget how old he is. He's allowed to call them that if he's 90-some years old. So little children, you are from God, and you have already, notice the past tense, you have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that reassuring? Uh, He says, uh, not only are, are they false prophets, but look at the fact that you as a church are still here. You're still confessing the gospel that you heard from the beginning. And what does that mean? It means that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, They tried to destabilize you. They tried to, to get you to follow their teaching and their gospel. And look, you may be confused, you may be bewildered, but you're still here. And that is evidence that the Spirit is in you and is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, if, if Satan's purpose is to raise up pseudo-Christian groups to destabilize the church, uh, John says he's losing that battle, because as big as those groups may be, the church is still here. And that should be reassuring to us. Now sometimes we wonder the same thing don't we as as a reformed church we we wonder this question uh, how do i know that that this is is the true church out of all the churches that are out there how do i know that this is where where i belong that this is the church where christ is active and and at work uh, and and we wonder it perhaps even as we come to the lord's supper table uh, we wonder how do I know that that this is Christ's table, that, that all of the heavenly promises that, that are associated with the Lord's Supper when Christ instituted it, how do I know that they're to be found here and not at all these other places that also might serve uh, the, the Lord's table? And John would just, would just reassure us as a church, uh, it shouldn't surprise you in the first place, that there are other groups that teach different things, and and things that are even contrary to the gospel. That shouldn't be a surprise to you. Jesus said, false prophets will come into the world. Uh, But what do you believe? Is your Christian conviction the same as the one taught by Christ and by the apostles? Uh, If so, be reassured. This is Christ's table. It may be humble. It may not be as exciting as, as other places. But this is Christ's table. Because here you find Christ's gospel. The one that Christ preached. And the one that his apostles also proclaimed. And, and and if that's true, not only do you belong here, but Christ is also present here. He gives himself here at this table to those who come here as small as humble as this table may be. In other words, don't let the confusion that is out there destabilize your conviction in the truth of the gospel. Uh, And and then in the last verses of our of our text, John John offers one more simple reassurance because part of the part of the destabilizing force of, of these other groups is often the fact that they can be much bigger than the true church, and they were in that time. There were, uh, scholars now uh, will look back as they read the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Peter, these pseudo-Christian gospels, and, and they look back and they actually say, well, these, it looks like these other Gnostic groups were actually bigger than, than the, the, the tradition that has now become known as the Christian church. And their argument is, well, Constantine chose one tradition and, and made that the true church out of all these other churches that were out there. Uh, but the, and, and that's a massive abuse of, of church history. It's not true at all. But what is true is that these other groups were bigger. They were. There, there were more of them than there were of true Christians. And, and part of the destabilizing effect then is, uh, who are we, this small, humble group, when all these other churches are out there, and they're bigger, and they're more exciting, and, and we start to wonder, if this is the true church, why is all the excitement out there? and and let 's be honest we we ask ourselves sometimes these same questions uh, not only are our Christians becoming a minority in our culture, but uh, as as confessional reformed churches we we really feel small and and maybe antiquated we We feel like a relic from the past at times uh, and and the church that John was writing to would have felt exactly the same way. They were already a minority as Christians, a persecuted minority in the Roman culture. And on top of that, uh, there were other groups of questionable orthodoxy, but but where it seemed to be like a lot more exciting stuff was going on. And, And they started to wonder, why aren't we growing like they're growing? Why isn't it as exciting here as it may be out there? Why is everyone listening to them and not to us? Uh, the, these are questions that that any true church will struggle with uh, and and by all this I, I'm not saying that that there aren't uh, that we can't ask whether there are things we ought to be doing that we're not doing that that's not john's point that's not my point either uh, but i 'm talking about the impulse that automatically assumes that if it's more exciting there, then they're doing something right and we're doing something wrong. Not always. Uh, Sometimes uh, the action is happening somewhere else, and we as Christians have absolutely no business being there. And that was the case with this church that John was writing to. Uh, and, And we think of... Churches in our day as well, like the Mormon uh, Church, the, the, the so-called Church of Latter-day Saints. It's one of the fastest-growing pseudo-church movements in the world right now. You go to places like Brazil, or if you remember a few weeks ago, we had a talk by Reverend Versteig, uh, and he, he mentioned the same thing in Papua New Guinea, uh, where, where Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are the fastest-growing church movements, and that's a compelling fact for the Christians in the churches there. Uh, It it presents a a, a very strong temptation to jump ship, to say, well, that's where the excitement's at, then maybe that's where where we should go. And yet as Christians, we have no business being there. The church that John's writing to struggled with the same question. And so John reminds them in in verse 5, he says, look, they're from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and guess what? The world listens to them. Go figure. It's as if he's saying, what did you expect? Uh, We are from God. Uh, Speaking, uh, referring to to the church. Uh, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Uh, What he's saying is the true church is the work of God. As, As Christ says, my sheep will hear my voice. How do you recognize the true church? It's those who are listening to the voice of the true shepherd. Uh, If we are Christ's sheep, we will listen to his voice, and we shouldn't be destabilized by the fact that there are other sheep listening to other voices. That shouldn't concern us as Christ's sheep. Uh, And so again, as, as we come to this table... John would simply reassure us in our day as well. Uh, Yes, yes, there are other groups out there that confess the name of Jesus and yet preach a different gospel. And and yes, sometimes it will seem like all the excitement is happening there. Don't let that destabilize your conviction in the truth of the gospel. Uh, And don't let the sheer number of pseudo-Christian groups destabilize you either. Uh, That's simply a feature of the church age. Uh, There will be false prophets out there in this age, and they will gain a following. Uh, That's what what they do. Uh, For you, the calling is simply to keep hearing the voice of Christ your shepherd. Uh, keep following him. Don't be intimidated by the number of other groups or the excitement in, in other groups uh, and, and let that destabilize your conviction and your faith if it's a conviction and faith rooted in the Word of God. If, if your faith is true to God's Word, consistent with what Christ has taught, then you're a sheep listening to the voice of your shepherd and that's where you belong. That's what you need to do. And so, brothers and sisters, this may be a humble table. We're, we're not, uh, we don't have an impressive building. We're not an impressive people. Uh, we don't have all the candles or the stage lights or the fog machines and all the, the exciting stuff. And yet, this is Christ's table. Consider that glorious truth. This is Christ's table. Christ is here with us because here His voice is heard. Uh, here we listen to His words. And here then, Christ offers himself to us, to those who partake at this table, uh, they partake in all of the promises of God associated with Christ and the gospel. All the riches of heaven may not be all that visibly impressive here, but all the riches of heaven are offered here at Christ's table. And that also means that as, as those who belong to Christ, we should come, we should be here at this table and we're reminded again, this is, this is not my table. This is not the elders' table. It is Christ's table, and it is His voice that calls you. All who have professed their faith, who belong to Christ, who are bought by His blood and are therefore united to His Spirit, uh, should come in obedience to His voice. So come, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's respond by singing from hymn 61, all stanzas.